it's definitely connected me more closely with my creative practice, as well as just enabling me to move more freely through time and the life that I'm having and whatever it is that I've got left. I still get stuck from time to time, but much, much, much less often. I am much freer now and much more able to move through things, including my own creative practice. Hey everybody, I'm Lori Rudiman. Welcome to Punk Rock HR. My guest today is Doug Shaw. He's a British former human resources leader turned artist. And he's on the show today to talk about his journey with art through well-being. It's just such an interesting experience that Doug has had. And he's so earnest when he talks about it. And I know you're gonna find something in there to help motivate you to think about life and art and relationships differently. So please sit back and enjoy my conversation with the very punk rock, the very talented, and the very wonderful Doug Shaw. Hey, Doug, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Laurie. It's great to see you. And um, it's great to be here. I'm very excited about the opportunity. Yeah, I'm thrilled to have you. We've been friends for over a decade. And as happens with good friends, we barely talk anymore. COVID made that more complicated. And you've got big news. You just had your first jab today, like literally right before getting on with me. So tell us about that experience of being vaccinated. The rollout's going, seems to be going very well here in the UK. I'm pleased to have it done, both for my own sake and for the sake of other people. Everybody was really professional, really cool about it. They looked after us very well. And yeah, here I am now talking to you, so I'm excited. Well, I'm excited to have you. You know, we've had over a year of lockdown. And because you're an artist, you know, you're in this world of human resources by accident, really. But, you know, you're an artist, a bit of a sensitive soul. You know, I would say that knowing you, you've been on lockdown in multiple stages of your life. And so that's what I want to talk about today, because there's this conversation happening around well-being. And I think so often it leaves out men and particularly professional men. So let's talk a little bit about that. What's your general take on that subject? Historically, at least, I think men have felt maybe less comfortable. I think from my own personal perspective, this last 12 months or so, whilst it's been, you know, I've, I've missed socializing and, and seeing people, I actually feel reasonably resilient within myself. I owe a lot of that actually to the counseling I had in the run up to this period of time. I mean, I knew I needed counseling. I didn't know COVID was coming, but I found bizarrely having had some very big ups and downs in the last few years, probably triggered by the death of my father in 2012, although I didn't see it at the time. And I think another big trigger for me was something as foolish really as falling victim of a fraud. So my my company got cleaned out just before we went on holiday and I just felt such an idiot. And I think that feeling of sort of stupidity coupled with a struggle to process grief tipped me into a very unpleasant place. I am comfortable talking about it. I mean, I wasn't before I started getting professional help. All I was really was lonely and angry in the, in the run. So I think in a personal capacity, I've found this recent period actually in a way more sort of steadying, I suppose. But it, it's only thanks to the rough times that I had before. 
Well, you know, there are a lot of different ways we can take the conversation, but one of the things I tell people, and again, I'm no psychologist or therapist or expert, is that when they are unhappy, especially when they bring that unhappiness to their professional lives, there's nothing at work that's going to fix that. And, you know, it's almost as if being unhappy at work is a lagging indicator. And so I just want to stop right there because for many years you worked in professional corporate roles. And one of the things that's been really beautiful about your journey, Doug, is watching you blossom as an artist. It's almost as if you did the work inside out to land at the place you are today. So can we talk about that for a second? It's a source of befuddlement to me on a regular basis. I sit here now and doodle and draw and paint. As a form of creative process, I find it extremely free and liberating. And I didn't realize it at the time, but I think I've often used it as a form of therapy in and of itself. So it's quite something for me to get lost in. There's nothing wrong with what I did um, beforehand, but I don't think at any point did it speak to me like what I do now does. And by what I do now, I mean art for its own sake, art for the benefit of the community and art in support of professional services too. So what I'm figuring out is that I can kind of understand or explore this path, if you like, and take it into other places that feel useful and, and relevant and exciting for me and other people too. So let's talk about those three different paths because you have your art for yourself and for the creative spirit, and then you do art for the community with your art drops, and then you're also doing art in a professional way to help corporate individuals, people who are you know type A, tap into their own creativity. So talk about those three different paths and I don't know, what do they do for you? Because most people feel that their work has to be important and thrilling and daunting and interesting, right? And I would imagine that all three touch on that in some way in your life. So in terms of creative practice for its own sake, for me, if you like, uh, I really enjoy that. And I, I feel extremely fortunate that I am curious. And so my process is experimental and I will try lots of different things. And I really enjoy that. And if I've taken some time recently to look back over the last 10 years or so. And it's fascinating to me to see where I've been and how some of what I'm doing now has been informed by some of where I've been. And I can only wonder about where I might go next. But as an experience, just playing with the process and getting comfortable that that is what matters, the outcome, I can have it in mind, but actually very often getting lost in doing the work is where the fun and the excitement happens. So that I find extremely satisfying and rewarding for its own sake. It informs my practice as a professional artist so people respond to what I'm making and invest in it. And that is exceptionally validating. You know, there's something when you put your hands into something and you're, you know, you're crafting it and it resonates with someone and they want to support you as a, as a human and a practitioner and make that exchange. That's very exciting. And then the community aspect, hiding art in the neighborhood just fell out of a series of conversations and just felt like a good thing to do. And it transformed my relationship with this geographic community. It transformed my relationship with my practice. It triggered and enabled so many things. And in addition, it's put original artwork in literally hundreds of homes in our neighborhood. That's quite cool, really, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, that is so transformative. You know, before we even talk about art for the sake of the world being better in a professional standpoint, let's just talk about what that's done in your community, because I think so many of us just live and exist and go day in, day out in this weird 
Groundhog Day approach to life, if that means anything to you, you know, same over and over again. And I think there's just something really beautiful about a piece of art popping up and reminding us of our own innate possibilities, our own innate humanity. And you've done that for people in your neighborhood, in your community, and it's translated on social media. Then they share the experience and it gets seen by others around the world. I just think that's such a fun thing to have done and something you should be proud of. Yeah, I mean, and it is joyful. Everything that goes into and out of and around it is a joyful experience for me. So, you know, I, I benefit from it because it helps me learn to get better at letting go. It's introduced me to people. It's introduced me to places. And you know, through some of my work pre-COVID, when I was traveling a little bit more, I was able to extend the project. So, you know, I've hidden art in Australia and, and the United States and a few countries in Europe. In fact, a couple of years ago, I was in Germany and some of my art that I'd made, some of my guardian figures were on show at an exhibition. And I was invited to that exhibition partly because word of that project had got around. And so I think for me, it's a fantastic example of what happens when your curiosity gets the better of you and you just kind of start something and you just keep at it. Unfortunately, COVID got in the way of what would have been the fourth year anniversary. So I was on a four-year continuous streak and then the pandemic came and I thought, I can't be hiding artwork in the neighborhood. I can't be encouraging people out when we're supposed to be staying at home. So I flipped it and started putting work online instead, which means that people who, in my wife, a network can now play the game and join in. But I can't deny it, I am itching to get out there and start hiding stuff again. <laughs> we'll know when things are better, when you're out there, you know, creating these like Easter egg moments for people to stumble on. I think that'll be a good sign that spring has sprung in terms of the COVID epidemic. Yeah, for sure. And I think one other thing about that project, I never expect anything from it. I leave the piece and that's it. And I have had some absolutely wonderful notes back from people and, and other connections. People People will just let me know that they appreciate the project and they appreciate the time and effort that goes into it. I've had some really moving notes from people who maybe haven't been going through a particularly good time and they've happened to have found something in a place that's connected them back to that place, made them think of other people and just given them a sense of feeling appreciated, albeit that it was a completely random connection that brought them to the thing. And I just think it's lovely that people take the time and effort to let you know that that kind of thing's going on. It's lovely when that sort of thing happens. I know that's not a motivating factor for your art, and you're not looking to be recognized for it. I mean, you do it for the sake of doing it, right? I mean, it brings you some value. You feel like you're contributing. But I know this as an author now. I mean, it's amazing to hear that your work has an impact. And I don't know, there's just something quietly reassuring as an artist that, okay, I don't need it, but it's nice to know that I can continue. I don't know. Does that make sense? The validation is lovely. I think it's very difficult and dangerous place to go to begin to expect it. But I think I'd be lying to you if I said that I'm not touched by so many of these experiences. And when I wake up in the morning and I go to my phone after I've washed and dressed and had breakfast and what have you, if someone's placed a little order in my Etsy shop overnight, that's cool. You know, it's lovely and it's a few dollars, but it doesn't matter that something has spoken to somebody and it's resonated with them and an exchange is taking place. And I'm very, very happy every time that happens. It is nice when other people bet on you. That's for sure. That's definitely great. Well, you had this career in L&D and you did it for many years. And it was one of these things that I can tell now that was a blessing and a curse in your life. You know, <laughs> it definitely is something that informs your, you know, your thinking, your approach to the world, but it's also a corporate career it comes with its own challenges. So let's talk a little bit about that career and what you're doing today, you know, trying to help other professionals get in touch with their innate creativity. So 
my career is quite a checkerboard. I mean, I've done all sorts of weird things. I've worked in a timber yard. I've worked for insurance companies. I've done bar work. Some of those are kind of piecemeal things that you do to fill in the gaps. But I did spend a long, well, for me, a long stint working for a telecommunications company here in the UK. And I found that really fascinating. It was a big organization, so I got to try out lots of different things. And I think in that organization, one of the main benefits that I gathered from working there was an appreciation of how important you and your colleagues are. So I really developed a deep appreciation for some people. I'm not going to deny it. I probably developed a fairly deep unappreciation for certain other people as well. I became really interested in what makes people tick. And I did all kinds of interesting jobs in that organization. But I think a bit like how Gordon McKenzie talks about orbiting the giant hairball, I was always in an orbit. And I think whenever I did get a little bit too close, the organization didn't like me very much and I didn't like it very much. So in the end, I came to a peace with myself and I had a chat with my dad, who was a lifelong civil servant. And I talked to him about what my plans were. And he shared some regret with me that he had stayed where he did for as long as he did. Anyway, so I left. I've had enough. And that was a weird experience. You think you're on the edge of something and you think you're alive. And then you walk out the door and you learn what it's like not to be employed anymore. And I know this might sound silly now, but one of the weird things was just kind of not waking up at the end of every month and finding someone poured some money into your bank account. (laughs) Wait, that's not weird. That's the number one thing that tells you, oh my gosh, I'm sinking or swimming all on my own. Yeah, for sure. But I left that organization with this really profound sense of wanting to understand what makes people tick what makes me tick? And can that be used to make work better or different in some way? And up until that point, I'd always been interested in art as a viewer. So I was very passive. But I noticed when I would go and experience something artistic, musical, paintings, whatever it was, the fact that different people react and respond to these same things that are on the wall or these same experiences really got me thinking that the inherent subjectivity in all this is a fascinating jumping off point. So I started using other people's art, professional artworks in talks and work and other projects as a way of helping us all realize that we're all looking at the same thing, but we're all thinking and feeling something different. And I don't know when, but somewhere fairly early on in the process, I thought, wouldn't it be fun if instead of outsourcing that responsibility, we tried it ourselves. And so I began to encourage people to experiment with the artistic process, the creative process themselves. And I thought, well, if I'm going to ask people to do this, I'd better try it myself. You know, I'm not very really good at telling people what to do if I haven't gone through the pain and the pleasure of trying to do it myself, thankfully. So I just kind of got stuck in. Hey everybody, Lori here to talk about my experiences as a LinkedIn learning instructor. Last summer, I had this cool opportunity from LinkedIn Learning to record two courses. They gave me an opportunity to teach anything I wanted to teach, and I said, okay, I have two ideas. The first is on self-leadership, which is the art and science of individual accountability. And the second course I want to teach is on proactively managing conflict as an employee. When you feel like you have no power and you're constantly fighting with a boss, what do you do? Well, I've taught a course on that. So because I went through this awesome and amazing LinkedIn experience, they gave me a free code that I can give to you. If you want to try LinkedIn Learning Out for 30 days free, no obligation to see my courses on proactively managing conflict or self-leadership or anybody else's courses, head on over to bit.ly forward slash LinkedIn PRHR. That's bit.ly forward slash LinkedIn PRHR, all one word, all lowercase, to get 30 days of LinkedIn Learning on me, no strings attached, so you can bet on yourself and win.
So you're on this journey and you've started creating as, you know, it relates to your work, right? Some of the consulting opportunities. But at some point, you put a flag in the ground and called yourself an artist. What was that like? Weird. And it shouldn't be. Another book I read and enjoy is a book called The Art of Asking by Amanda Palmer. In her book, she says, there's no correct path to becoming a real artist. You might think you'll gain legitimacy by going to art school, getting published getting signed to a record label, but it's all bullshit and it's all in your head. You're an artist when you say you are and you're a good artist when you make somebody else experience or feel something deep or unexpected. And I read that and thought, she's right, I am. So I own it. I used to talk about the idea that we're not artists or we allow ourselves to believe that we're not. And I had this flag kind of, we are all artists. And I don't use that so much anymore. It appears here and there. But I remember talking to a friend of mine, Robert Ordover, a while back now, and he said, you've crossed the border now. The game you play where you're not an artist either, you can't play that game anymore because you are. And he's right. I am. And I'm very, very comfortable about it now. I can tell you the moment, the thing I remember about when, you know, that good artist, when somebody resonates, when someone something happens. I have a very clear picture of that. But in terms of just being an artist, I just got over myself and thought, yeah, that's who and what I am. And I'm cool with that. I wonder about the work that you've been doing personally on yourself, right? We all do work on ourselves in some way, but you've really made that a concerted effort over the past few years now, emotionally, psychologically. Is that enabling you to feel more comfortable with your role as artist? Because I think about all the men that I've met in my life who have regret, didn't pursue the one thing that they wanted to, and they're currently working in a corporation. And I think if only they would do just a little bit of work, maybe they could get back in touch with that, whether it's to go back and be a teacher or to be an artist or to coach, you know, some sport for children, whatever it is, there's something holding them back. And I say, if only they would go to therapy, but I don't know if that's true. Is that part of your journey that's enabled you to feel comfortable with using the term artist? I'd come to the conclusion that I was an artist before I'd come to the conclusion that I was a bundle of stress and anxiety and depression. Once I realized I wasn't well, it took me a while, but once I'd cracked that nut, I had a couple of failed attempts at trying to sort of fix things through mental health provisioning services through our national health service, which is woefully under-resourced to deal with that kind of thing. I didn't have a good time with it, and that's not a criticism of them, but I was not in a good place to engage with the services that they were able to provide. And I remember giving them some feedback at the end saying, you know, I'm worse now than when I started. And I didn't feel good about that, but that's how I felt. Then I discovered a small charity providing counselling services in our neighbourhood. I got in touch with them. I went for an initial assessment. They said, you seem like the kind of person that would benefit from this. And everything just kind of began to unfold from there. It's been, yeah, hugely fortunate. It's definitely connected me more closely with my creative practice, as well as just enabling me to move more freely through time and the life that I'm having and whatever it is that I've got left. I still get stuck from time to time, but much, much, much less often. I am much freer now and much more able to move through things, including my own creative practice. And like I say, really enjoy that experimental aspect of it. So what's the impact on your business? You know, you've done this creative work, right? You've been building a portfolio of your own paintings, portraits, doodles, all the good stuff. You've been giving art 
away in your community. So talk a little bit about your business life these days. I had a couple of really fallow years. So the fraud and the kind of depression and everything that unlocked, I found it very difficult to work. So I think during that time, I did less of the consulting kind of work because I didn't really feel in a place of sufficient substance to be able to kind of work with people and talk with them about their problems when my own problems were just right here, right up in my face kind of thing. And as I began to feel better, I began to invest more time and effort in looking at bringing my creative practice into the kind of conference and event space. And I had some really interesting bookings coming up where I would be doing more live painting and live graphic reports and all that kind of thing, which I love to do. And then COVID came along and just burst that bubble completely. And I'm not complaining. You know, there's people in a heck of a lot worse situation than we are. But you know, my wife as a self-employed swimming teacher and me as a kind of jobbing artist, all of a sudden, everything just vanished. So I'm very, very fortunate that I'm part of a community called Game Shift. And I bring some of my work to life through consulting opportunities with them, which is great fun because they're a really interesting, smart, caring bunch of people. And I've just kind of turned the wick up on what I do artistically. So, I mean, I did a really weird project last year where I designed and installed about 150 street stencils across our borough, different kind of animal motifs and things. And that was great fun, thing we call creative pavements and that was all done as kids were going back to school last summer it was giving them something to kind of engage with talk about and they were you know riffing off them in their classrooms and all that kind of thing and and I loved doing that and that sort of opportunity just wouldn't have arisen had the pandemic not come along so these are odd times money's tight but we're doing okay you know things are reshaping in really interesting ways are you optimistic about the future of live events and coming together? I just read an article in the New York Times about this that summed it up so nicely. I miss being part of an audience, you know, having my own experience with a speaker, a singer, a musician, an artist. So is this coming back? I think right now I have genuinely mixed feelings about it. I guess to some extent I'm experiencing a degree of reservation as a result of this persistent period of comparative isolation. I mean, I love being in those spaces. I'm frustrated because I spent a lot of time honing my practice to support those kind of events and it went. So to some extent, I guess I'd like them to come back because I can get back into the swing of things and start reaching out to people and saying, hey, you know, I'm really good at this stuff. I can add some real value to what's going on here. But I don't know. It, it's a weird one for now. I wouldn't like to call it. I'm rubbish at predicting the future. Well, that's quite all right. You know, most of us are. So I just love for you to join in with the other prognosticators and hear it. <laughs> <laughs> well, Doug, as we start to wrap up the conversation, you know, we've talked about the importance of well-being, of art, of learning. I mean, you've exhibited all different kinds of ways that you've pushed yourself to learn throughout your career, right? You've gone beyond your comfort zone. What do you want the audience to take away from this conversation? I mean, you're a former L&D professional. You know the world that they're in. You know what corporations are like. You've been living through this period of COVID and you've had art to offer you a little bit of comfort. So I don't know. What do you have to say to everybody? I think just pick up a pen and doodle, for goodness sake. (laughs) Try it. You might like it. If you don't, hey, who cares? But you did try it. I think there is a distinct lack of curiosity, particularly in the world of work. And I think that anything that gets people more curious is cool. You know, be a bit more active, be a bit less passive. If it isn't a paintbrush or a pen you want to pick up, that's fine. But pick something up that might have a chance of bringing you a little bit of joy. Well, I'd love that you're not afraid to be silly. That's the one thing I love. You know, you're not afraid to take risks. And can we please tell them your story about the London Underground? in your audition. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, um, Oh, it's just 
such an endearing sweet story. I know you don't feel that way, but there's so many good lessons in it. Please. Sure. Okay. I think enough distance. I'm, I'm far enough away from it now that it doesn't hurt too badly. So I have a, an interest in live performance, and I am able to ring a half-decent tune out of a guitar and sing a bit. In fact, I've done a little bit of work like that, HR conferences in America and at events here in the UK, in fact. But yeah, the opportunity to apply for a busking license came up on the London Underground, and I thought, yeah, come on, give it a go. So I, I did. I, I put my hat in the ring, so to speak, and um, I got an audition. We were told to rehearse two or three songs, either our own or covers, and I did that. I picked tunes that I knew I knew and I went along and w- went down this staircase found someone who let me in went down this staircase to a disused part of the underground so it's really exciting these two platforms and there are people there rehearsing on one platform and I'm told to wait on the other one and I'm nervous and they call me round for my go and so I put the guitar on I wandered around they picked the song and they picked London Calling which is you know I mean I'm a big fan of The Clash so I started to play it and Nothing came out of my mouth. I couldn't remember a single word. But I could barely even remember the fact that it starts with the words London Calling. And I know that song inside out and upside down and back to front and all this kind of thing. And I just sat there and just shriveled to a complete sort of husk. They asked me to try one of the other ones and I gave it a half-hearted attempt. But I completely blew this audition and I went off home with my tail between my legs. And thankfully, they didn't give me a busking license because I didn't deserve it. I just love this for so many reasons. It's just a test testament to how scary things are, right? When you go in these situations, no matter how practiced you are. And Doug, you're a phenomenal musician. I've seen you perform live. You've traveled with your guitar. I mean, this is just like what you do. And it's just the human condition to get nervous. And there's something really beautiful. And if you can do that and survive, and you did survive, Doug, imagine what else you can do, right? You can make it through these things. No, for sure. I guess you're right. If I learned nothing else from that experience, then that is what I learned. I'm done with that. I'm not going to go back and have another go. (laughs) I would bet dollars to donuts, as we say here in America, that you will one day. You will see an opportunity and you'll go, you know what? I need to finish that out. I need to give it another go. You have to. You have to do that. Maybe. We'll see. My dear friend, I absolutely adore you and miss you. And I'm so grateful for the chance just to reconnect on the podcast. So if everybody wants to find out more of your artwork, tell them about where they can find you, your Etsy store, all that good stuff. You can find me on Etsy under the name Doug Shaw Art. Certainly you can see lots of my, both the process and the work on Instagram. So I'm, my handle on Instagram is Doug Shaw, D-O-U-G-S-H-A-W. And I run a page on Facebook called The Consulting Artist. But I think if you Google Doug Shaw artist, you'll probably find me fairly easily. I don't know. I don't think there's that many of us out there. But yeah, those are a few places you can track me down and find out what I'm up to. Well, I'm so excited to host you today. Thanks again for being a guest. Oh, it's my absolute pleasure. And likewise, it is a genuine joy to speak to you today. Thank you. Hey, everybody. I hope you enjoyed the show today. For more information, including show notes and links, you can head on over to Punk Rock hr.com. And if you like what you heard today, head on over to iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts and leave a five-star review. Now that's all for today. And I hope you enjoyed it. We'll see you next time on Punk Rock HR.
say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill.